Good morning, Crossroads. Would you join me in prayer? After a great time of worship, uh, I just want to begin our study with, with a word of prayer. Uh, Lord, we sang that it is your blood that sets us free. Talked about an endless hope in you, about how we are washed in your mercy. We are made clean. Lord, may we never lose sight of that. May that always be our starting point, that we point to you, recognizing our need for you each day. May your word stir in us um, a, a level of obedience, Lord. May your word speak to us. May you open our ears and our hearts and our minds, Lord. May you receive all the glory in your name. Amen. Welcome back. It seems like it's been a long time. We had a little bit of a snowstorm last weekend. 14 inches in one day is pretty crazy. I have a few announcements to, to get to before we get into, before we get into our message. Uh, the group signups are continuing. If you go out the door and do a U-turn, that is where the community's table is. It's an opportunity for you to sign up for one of our groups, one of our classes, just a great way to get connected with other people in community here at Crossroads and in the, in the uh, Mansfield region. Uh, we also, right now, have Crossroads 101 going on, um, which is really exciting. That's, a, that's an opportunity for people who are new to get uh, familiar with Crossroads, and also for people who want to become members, that is part of that next step. Uh, but what's really cool about that that's going on right now is we had so many people sign up that we had to change rooms. We could not fit in the room that they had scheduled. So pretty exciting. If you would like to be part of the next 101, that is going to be March 31st. Put that on your calendar. And the way that you get signed up is you walk straight out the lobby into the next steps room, and they will get you signed up for that. Uh, as you may have noticed on your way in, we are having our volunteer fair this weekend. We are talking, uh, talking about serving today, and we are going to have an opportunity for you to, to go out to those tables. Each department has a table. I'm going to give you a little brief description of each department. First of all, there is the one that's nearest and dearest to my heart. Uh, I am the generations pastor, which means that I deal with students and young adults, and we have a, a department and a staff that that is our responsibility. So there is a generations department. There is the family department, which is children from birth to uh, grade five. There's uh, the worship arts department, which is all the, um, everything that you see up here, but also all the behind-the-scenes things that go on here to put on the, uh, the worship that we just had. Have I mentioned the generations department for students and young adults? Um, we have a facilities and security department out there. Uh, facilities take care of the building security. Uh, just keep make sure that our children are safe and that we're safe. Uh, there's a care and outreach table, deals with the the pastoral care of of others as well as missions. Uh, there's the generations department, which deals with students and young adults. Um, there's guest services, uh, things like the coffee house and just some other opportunities to serve. Um, and then there's the generations department, students and young adults. So. Later on, we'll talk about exactly how you get plugged into those things. Uh, but if you would, would you uh, grab a Bible and open to Romans chapter 12? If uh, you do not bring a Bible, there's a Bible in the seat back in front of you. If you do not have a Bible at home, please take that with you uh, as our gift to you. We want everyone to have a copy of God's Word. Uh, one, of the, one of the jobs here at Crossroads is actually to replace the Bibles that get taken home. So 
not only are you taking God's word home, you're giving someone else a, a responsibility and an opportunity to serve. So please take that home. And before we get into the word, I wanted to give you an update on Pastor Dave. He is, um, for those of you who don't know, he had a blood clot in his intestine. Uh, he was in the hospital for a few days. He, he is back from the hospital. He is doing, uh, doing well. <laughs> he's resting, but he's also been back to work a couple of days uh, this week. Uh, he's beginning that process. They said it's going to be a long process, and he needs to be patient not his forte. So please continue to pray for him. Um, but they're working through the treatment and, and figuring out why exactly that happened, and, and it's just going to be a process. So please continue to pray for him. And like I said, he was back in the office a couple days this week. That puts him ahead of most of the teachers and students who are here. You know, I have a 15-year-old daughter who's going to be able to drive pretty soon. So I really appreciate them canceling school, having a student driver. Um, it's just, it, it's a scary thing. Plus, I was a teacher. I taught for 20 years, and I know all about teachers. You know, teachers are as excited as, probably more excited than students for those snow days. You know, there are some superstitions out there involving wearing your pajamas inside out and flushing ice cubes down the toilet. We've done all those things at my house. But, uh, you know, I think, I just think it's important that our kids are safe, so... After Snowmageddon last weekend, I was preparing this message actually to, to preach last weekend and uh, was preparing for that snow, and I found some verses about snow. In Psalm 147, verses 15 through 17, it says, He, meaning God, He sends out His command to the earth. His words run swiftly. He gives snow like wool. He scatters frost like ashes, and He hurls down His crystals of ice like crumbs pretty fitting for what we went through this past week, isn't it? I got some bad news for you. That's not the end of that psalm. The very next line in that psalm says, who can stand before his cold? I don't know if you've seen the forecast for this week. Uh, Tuesday, negative three. Wednesday, negative 13. Thursday, negative four. And Friday, negative two. And those are not wind chills. Those are regular temperatures. But there is hope. The next line of the psalm says he sends out his word and he melts the snow and the ice. Amen. <laughs> However, let's pray maybe that that word travels a little slower than it did this past Wednesday when we melted a foot of snow in one day and flooded basements all over. But enough talk about snow. Let's get into our series. We're in a series called Uncommitted. And two weeks ago, Pastor Jesse opened this series. He was talking about how... We need to uncommit, some, uncommit from some things in our life in order to be more fully committed to Christ. He talked about that we give value to things that have lesser value than spiritual things, than, than the things of God. Sometimes we make, we make our commitments greater than they really are. And he talked about how busy we are and how easy it is to make excuses in all stages of life. And we are going to continue to build on that concept of, of uncommitting from some things in order to choose something better. So, we're going to begin in Romans chapter 12, verse 1. It says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual act of worship. 
I don't know about you, but I am instantly drawn to the words, present your body as a living sacrifice. It's like, give me a command, give me a job, just tell me what to do, I, I, I've, just direct me and I'll go. You know, always like three steps ahead of where I need to be. You know, my wife and I were, uh, we were counseling a young couple for, for premarital counseling and, uh, this past week, and we were talking about the difference in the way that husbands and wives react in the way they listen. You know, talking about running ahead. And my wife explained that when she has a problem, she likes to just get it out. She just, just wants to talk through it. You know, and, and after explaining it all and just, just emptying out the problem, she feels better. That is not how I am wired. She says about five words, and I'm like, okay, well, we need to do this and this and this, and that'll fix it. And she has no desire for me to fix the problem, but I'm already running ahead. Get, I've got the problem, so i got the plan. We're done. Move on. And all she needs to do is just unload the problem. You know, and, and I think sometimes with Scripture, it's that same thing. We're, we're running ahead trying to just give me something to do. Give me the direction. And when we do that, I think often we miss some, some of the details that are there. My nine-year-old yesterday was, on, was laying on the couch, and I came in and sat down, and we were watching TV together, and The Empire Strikes Back was on. True story. And this quote, this quote was in that movie. Yoda said to a young Luke, said of a young Luke Skywalker, said, all his life he has looked away Look to the future, to the horizon. Never his mind on where he was or what he was doing. Always looking ahead to that next thing. It's not just a guy thing, though. I have four daughters, and all of them are constantly getting ahead of themselves, doing what's next, instead of taking care of the details, you know, just leaving, leaving the details go, getting to what's next. But one of them, is the queen. She is the greatest of all time. My nine-year-old daughter, Chloe, is the queen of no detail. Let me, let me give you an example. On Friday, Chloe had a bagel for breakfast and grape drink. She had a peanut butter sandwich, peanut butter and jelly sandwich for lunch, and she was studying for her Ohio history test over the Miami and Shawnee Indians. Now, I know all this, not because I'm such a loving father and I know what, what she was involved with, but because I was able to follow the trail of Hurricane Chloe around our house. See, there was a bag of bagels left open beside the toaster with a little plastic clip thrown on the other side of the kitchen. There was a unicorn cup. Chloe is a unicorn fan. It identified her right away with grape drink this much left in the bottom on the end table in the living room. There were jelly blobs on the kitchen sink and on the floor. And on the ottoman in the living room was her homework that she had left from the night before that she had been studying. And I tell you all this for this reason. Here's my question. Do we study scripture like Chloe lives her life? Rushing to get to the next thing, not paying attention to the detail of what's there. I know I do. 
Let's go back and look at that same verse again. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual act of worship. Like I said, I'm drawn to that command. I want to jump right to that present your body as a, as a living sacrifice. There's the challenge. But if we do that, we miss a lot of what Paul was trying to tell us. In the first, in the first part there, he uses the word therefore. Now there's an old scripture study tool that says whenever you run into the word therefore, make sure that you know what the therefore is there for. There's, that's there for a reason. It's pointing you back to something that's already been said. He says, here's my reason. Therefore, this is what you do about it. So this is pointing us backwards in Scripture. It's saying there's something that, that came previously that set all this up. There was a precursor. So he's actually pointing us just back to the end of chapter 11. If you would look there with me, in verses 34 and 35. You don't even have to turn the page. Just look up a little higher. It says, for who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counselor? Or who has given him a gift that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. See, what Paul was doing when he wrote that single word, therefore, was he was reminding us of the greatness of God, the wisdom of God, the superiority of God to any, to any man the richness of God, the sovereignty of God, the ownership that God has over all things, and ultimately his glory. He was pointing out how awesome God is. And because of how awesome God is, therefore, we should do these things. That's why that therefore is there, to point us back so that we begin by recognizing the awesomeness of God. God's characteristics make him more than worthy of our sacrifice and fully committing to him. But verse 1 has another key phrase that I had just skipped over in my first reading of this. Let's look at verse 1 again. It says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual act of worship. By the mercies of God. Now, I just blew by that, but, but do you recognize the significance of that passage in Paul's life and in our lives? Paul says, by the mercies of God. By the mercies of God, God changed him from being someone who persecuted the church to being a believer. He went from being a Pharisee to someone who was presenting the gospel to the point of being imprisoned and ultimately killed for sharing Jesus Christ. And even more important was that spiritual move from death to life. All, all in that one passage, by the mercies of God. In the same way that God has changed your life and my life, if you're following Jesus Christ, he has done a, amazing, all those things we were just singing about, washed clean, all our sins washed away. That's all encompassed in these words, the mercies of God. So Paul is pointing out the greatness of God, but 
also his great love and mercy. And if we're not careful, we can, we can just miss that. We're not going to spend all day in one verse. But I think it's really important to recognize all, all the things that are in just that one passage, that one, that those few sentences there. And then comes the command to present our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. We are made holy and acceptable to God because of what he did as well. It's still pointing back to him. It always points back to him. And we're called to live that out as our spiritual act of worship. The way that we show God his worthiness is to surrender ourselves to him. And that is our spiritual act of worship. We show him his worthiness by surrendering. Let's look at verse 2. This tells us how that's supposed to look, how that's supposed to play out. It says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Do not be conformed to this world. It doesn't say, don't conform yourself to this world. It says, do not be conformed by the world. The world is trying to conform you. It's trying to change you. It's trying to get to the way you think. It's trying to make you think like it does. It's trying to get you to imitate. And there's a great danger in that. But that verb is passive. It's the world is working on you. The world is trying to get you to think like it does. And Paul is warning against that. He's saying, be aware that the world is working against you. It continues and says that we are not to be conformed to this world, but we are to be transformed. Once again, be transformed, not transform yourself. But be transformed. Again, a passive verb, something that's happening to us, not that we are doing that God at work in you is transforming you. They're both passive verbs. Don't let the world conform you. Be transformed by what God is doing, by the renewing of your mind. The renewing of your mind, that the way that you think is to be shaped by God. And that brings us a great question. Is the world shaping how you think? Are you being shaped by the way that God is renewing your mind? I'm going to ask you that again. Is the world shaping how you think? Are you being shaped by the way God is renewing your mind? You see, both, both of those verbs are passive, but our choices are not. We have an active role in choosing which of those happens. The scripture continues, it says that by testing you may discern what is the will of God. The renewal of our minds results in us being able to discern the will of God. Anybody, anybody ever say, God, I just, I don't know what you want me to do. Show me your will. Anybody ever felt that way? Boy, I have. I just don't know what, what is it that you have for me? You know what, that's okay for a little while. But this is clear that, that we're not supposed to live there, that we're supposed to understand what God's will is for us. 
that he, by the renewing of our mind, enables us to discern his will. And how are our minds renewed? It's done by God through his word, through service, through, through the church, through the body. That God is always at work. Renewing your mind. You know, the Old Testament reference to that is often described as giving you a new heart. Love that idea. See, we're being asked to surrender to God. We're being asked to surrender to his will. And here's the thing. This is why it's so important that we take scripture bit by bit by bit and really look at what's there. If you're going to surrender, it's probably a good idea to start with the awesomeness of God. To recognize his power and who he is. And then to remember his grace and his love and his mercy. And then surrendering to him takes on a whole different context. And then he's going to, he's going to be renewing our minds. He's going to be working with us and in us and through us and revealing his will to us. And all those previous characteristics show us that we can trust the God that we're surrendering to. Now, Paul takes the next three chapters of Romans and spells out what it looks like to live this out. So far, we've covered two verses, so we are not going to get through three chapters. We are going to look at one aspect of how to live this out, and that's in reference to service. But before we get into the, before we get into the details of, of God's Word and what, how, it, how it leads us to serve one another and serve the body, I want to address some of the reasons that people give not to serve. The first one says, I'm too busy. I have family commitments, family problems, life stages. Jesse touched on this a little bit last week, but I can't help but, but bring it in again. We, 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 get, we get so caught up in the stage of life we're in. Well, you know, as soon as I finish high school, you know, then I'll have all this free time to serve. And that happens, and then you, you get a job or you go to college, and all of a sudden, you know, it's, I don't have as much free time as I thought I have. But maybe, you know, maybe later on. But right now, you know, I'm really focusing on school, or I'm focusing on a relationship. You know, got to find myself a spouse. Then you find that spouse, and, well, we're planning a wedding. We're just, we're just too busy right now. You know, the wedding coming up and all, all those things, all those details we have to take care of. And then you get married, and it's like, well, you know, we want to take, take some, some time, a few months or a year, just, just to spend on our relationship and focusing on each other, and that's good, but, but we can't serve right now because we're just too busy. And then you have kids. Wow, kids. You have a kid, then you have another kid, and then you have twins. And all of your time just seems to evaporate. And you're like, well, we're just, we're just too busy chasing them around the house. And then the next thing you know, you're chasing them to basketball games. And to we have four daughters, three different basketball teams, 50 different games this season. Three of them today. I have, we have a game at one, we have a game at three, and we have a game at six. 
Maybe I should listen to what I'm talking about here. Another reason people give is they don't know what opportunities are available to them. Or another one, I don't know how God has gifted me. I don't know, I don't know what I'm supposed to do, what, how I really fit in. Or no one ever asked me. Or I'm serving in other ways outside the church. I'm serving in the community. That is great. But I'm going to show you where God's word says that we're, we're to be serving in the body as well. We're to be serving one another. This one's my favorite. Like to keep my options open. Just saying, you know what? I just don't want to get involved. Doesn't matter what you say, I'm not going to get involved. And that's a dangerous place to be. How about this one? The staff is paid to serve, so I don't have to. Let me give you a picture of that. If the cross, the, the number of paid staff that we have at Crossroads, if you multiply by three, that's how many volunteers it takes to run the children's ministry for one weekend. Just the children's ministry. That doesn't involve students. That doesn't involve young adults. That doesn't involve the parking team, the greeting team. There would be no, no worship, no message. The, the staff can't do this. Another reason, I'm generous in other ways. With my money, that is great, and you need to do that. That's an important part. But that's not your only part. That's not your only role. I love this one. Everything seems under control. I'm not needed. So you're going to wait until things are all falling apart to jump in? No, come on. There's no wisdom in that. I offered to serve, and no one followed up with me. And we're going to address some of these later. There's one other one. said, I... I just don't get anything out of it. And that usually comes from someone who has never served because even in the lobby this morning, someone came up and was sharing, sharing about how being part of a serve team got them connected. Said, I have friends that I never would have had. I met people that, that I never would have met that now we share life together because we serve together. I'm guessing that you can relate to one or two of these excuses. I know I can, I can certainly relate. But there is a scriptural answer to why we should serve the body. Look with me at verses 3 through 6. It says to me, for, the, for by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Let us use them. You see, the Scripture doesn't just command us to serve. It doesn't just say, hey, you know what? You need to do this. But again, Paul points back to the incredible grace of God. For by the grace given to me, we are challenged to be humble. We are challenged to think of ourselves with sober judgment, and then we're called to serve the body. But there's an important tension here, and I don't know if you've picked up on it or not, but it's this idea of grace and service being connected. And it's really, 
really vitally important that you understand that tension and that connection. You see, because while we've been assigned grace and salvation, we've also been assigned service. We have been assigned salvation and service by God's grace. Clearly in verse 3, we are reminded of the grace and the humility in which we ought to live. We're instructed not to think too highly of ourselves. And this is a reminder of who we are without Christ. That, that we, we're focused on ourselves, that we think too highly of ourselves. And God reminds us of who we are without him. That we are dead in our sins and transgressions. That together all of us have become worthless. That it's not about what we do. That is, has nothing to do with our position before God. And we're reminded of the grace that came from, from Christ on the cross to save us from that. See, I'm not saved because I serve. I'm not saved because of the things I do, the work that I do. We don't serve to earn. You might work at your job to earn money, but that is not how God's grace works. I'm reminded of, of my personal story, of when God opened my eyes to the grace and love and salvation that, that he gave me. In the book of Ephesians, chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, there's a passage that Pastor Wendell reminded me of this past week as we prepared, the teaching team prepared this, to, prepared this message together. And it was talking about how our salvation is not earned. It says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not the result of works, so that no one can boast. It's a humbling statement. It's a humbling statement that you cannot earn the grace of God, that you do not serve to build up favor with God, that you already have the favor of God that it was a free gift for you. Nothing you can accomplish, nothing you can add on to. And we know this, but I think sometimes we forget this, that we're not called to serve, to earn something, that grace is unmerited, unearned. It is not the result of works, it is a gift of God. And the Bible intends to keep us humble, reminding us of that, that it's not what you do, it's who he is and what he did for you. But interestingly enough, the very next verse in Ephesians chapter 2 is verse 10, which says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And, he, and I don't know about you, but at one point this really confused me. It was like, okay, your works do not earn you favor with God. Do works. Serving does not earn you the love of God. Serve. And I was like, 
doesn't, it doesn't match up. Why, why, why are these verses connected in the same passage? And I came to realize that we don't work, we don't serve to earn the grace of God. But because of who God is, because of his majesty, because of his glory, because of his mercy, and because of his love, our response to that is to serve. The way that we respond to the overwhelming, amazing love of God, the forgiveness and the grace, is to serve. That word that Paul used uh, in verse 12, sober-minded. In the Greek, the word is sophronane. Translated sober-minded or right-minded or sensible. Having a clear picture. And God says, I want you to have a clear picture of yourself that you need forgiveness and grace and mercy. That you, are, you, you cannot earn my favor or my love. But also in that humility, that you, can, that you are called to serve one another in response to the overwhelming love of God. We're called, we're called to do good works. We're called to serve one another. Not out of requirement, not out of earning anything, but in response to the love and grace of God. Have a right picture of yourself. Not too high, humble but not too low that you're not good enough to do anything because that's not what this says either. Well, God's grace did it all. I don't have to do anything. Verse 10 is clearly saying that's not true. He's called you to serve. Let me put it another way. Understanding the grace of God leads us to a life motivated by service. Understanding God's grace and love and mercy leads us to a life that's motivated to serve. Let's look at verse 4. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so though we are many, we are one body in Christ. We don't all have the same function. But we all have a function. You and I, maybe we don't have the same job to do. But we have a job to do. God has a job for you. God has a specific purpose for you in his kingdom, in building his kingdom. We don't all have the same function, but we have a function. Let me give you a picture of that. Okay? I work with teenagers, young adults. Some of you cringe at the thought of that. I cringe at some of, the, some of the other things that you guys do. I just can't do that. You know, there's a certain age of child that just frightens me. You know, my, part of my job is, is to teach, and I, and I love that. I love digging into the Word. I love, I, I love sharing that. But they turn my microphone off during worship. There's a very good reason. I was cut from the third grade choir. That is a true story. I'm not making that up, making a joke. Third grade. Well, I'm sorry. You're, you're going to have to come back later and try again. But here's the idea. We all have different jobs. We all have different, 
different things that God has designed for us, but we all have a function. And you are uniquely gifted by God to serve the body. You have been gifted by God to serve each other. And if you don't, then the body suffers. If you aren't using your gifts, the body lacks. The body of Christ lacks if you aren't using the gifts that God gave you. He has, he has a purpose for you in this place. He has a purpose for you in, in your workplace. He has a purpose for you in your family. But some of us are neglecting certain areas. And if you're not using your gifts, the body lacks. Let me put it a different way. Ephesians 4, 11 and 12. It says, and he, meaning Christ, gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. As church leaders, it says that the ministry is not what we're supposed to do. But our job is to equip you to do the ministry. To equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. Building up the body of Christ is your opportunity. That you're to use your gifts to build up the body of Christ. That's awesome. So as pastors and, and leaders, we want to enable you to do that. We want to give you opportunities. We want to train you. We want to teach you. We want to share. We want to encourage you. We want to talk about the difficulties. But that the actual work is done by the body of Christ, by you. Lastly, a pretty simple point. We are called to serve the Lord. Verse 6, the expectations communicated very clearly. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. Use your gifts. Use your gifts. Put them into action. Get connected. Get connected to a team serving well, what about those excuses that we had earlier? How, how does this stand up to that? I don't know how God has gifted me was one of the excuses. Let me challenge you. I understand that. If that is you, I have an opportunity for you. When you go out the door, do a U-turn. And there is the communities table. And there is a class called SHAPE. It is not an exercise class. That's what I thought I signed up, had to take my name off. No, it's called shape because it's about showing you the gifts. That it's, it's, it's revealing the gifts that God has given you, the opportunities and, and, and talents that God has prepared for you to do. This will enable you to see your gifts and where you can best plug in. So I would encourage you if you're like, I just, I don't know where I fit. That's what that's for. But let me also encourage you not to stay in that spot. Because you can live your life saying, well, I don't really know how God has gifted me. And you can just, well, I took the class, but I really don't think that's 
you know, the opportunity that God has for me. Or Don't live there. Figure it out. Get plugged in. If it doesn't work, take the class again. But get plugged in. Another reason, I'm too busy. Again, I need to hear this probably more than anyone in this room. Maybe it's time that we uncommit from some things. Maybe we're afraid. Maybe we have doubts that we're, we're able to serve. Or maybe we have fears. What happens if I'm not good at that? Or maybe our schedule is too busy. We need to look at our plate and take something off of that plate. Or maybe we need to deny ourselves some of the things that, that we enjoy in, our, in order to serve the body. I'm not telling you that you have to suffer through life. But what I'm telling you is, has the world crammed so much in there that we're missing our opportunity to serve? Another, another excuse was that I'm not needed, others are doing it. We were commanded to use our gifts. Use your gifts. Put them into action. You want an example of a servant? I'll give you a great example. The greatest example is in Mark chapter 10, where we hear about the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, that God Himself took the role of a servant. That Jesus Christ came to this earth to serve. Listen to these words. Jesus was talking to his disciples, and he, Jesus called them to him and said to them, you know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. Whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. And listen to this, verse 45. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. What an awesome God we serve. Would you pray with me? Lord, we were reminded of your greatness, of your glory, of your worthiness, of your richness, of, your, of our inability to compare anything or anyone to you. Your glory, Lord. We were also reminded of your amazing grace and love and mercy that we can't earn, that you just lavish upon us. That you were willing to, to pay the price on the cross for us. Through your life and death and resurrection, you have saved us. Something we cannot do on our own. But Lord, you also challenge us to serve, challenge us to build up the body of Christ. And you were the ultimate example of a servant. For as you lived, and as you died, and as you rose, you were always serving. Or may we model our lives after you. May we bring you glory in your name. Amen. I want to close by addressing just a few more of those excuses quickly. Remember when Someone said, I don't know what opportunities are available. Out in that hallway, there are people excited, waiting to explain to you the opportunities that are here. Some of the needs that we have, the, the immediate needs. 
I offered to serve, but no one followed up with me. I have a guarantee from the departments that someone will contact you within seven days if you sign up. By next weekend, they will have contacted you and given you your next steps to follow up. The last one was no one asked me. As a representative of Crossroads, I am asking you to serve, to get plugged in, to get connected. Get out there, get involved, not out of guilt, not to earn grace, but as a response to the grace and mercy and love that Jesus Christ has given each of us. Stop at a table on your way out, sign up for a team, have a great week, we'll see you next weekend.